Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. Awesome. It's good to see you this morning. You all look wonderful. I, I always tell my wife, we're blessed to get to pastor such good-looking people. You know that? Um, I want to start a new series this morning uh, leading up to Easter, but first we're going to take our missions offering for this month, so I want to ask the ushers to come. Thank you for those of you who give monthly to our missions offering. I've been having a lot of uh, questions lately about how we do our giving here, so I'm going to explain I haven't explained it in a while. We, we don't take an offering every week. We take a missions offering once a month, but we do have a box in the back if you prefer to give uh, to the ministries here and support what we're doing uh, in this city, and we basically do that. Um, people say, how does that work? Does that decrease your tithing? It has not. Um, most of our tithing takes place online. And so uh, you can give it EncounterAZ.com. So we haven't seen uh, much of that. It's just a, it's a new world, but we love any way that you desire to give. God bless you. We appreciate your giving. But every month we support our different missionaries. So I just ask that you try and set $20 aside a month and support our missionaries. Um, for instance, Bobby Dendy over here is one of our missionaries to this country. He's getting ready to go to South Padre Island with like 10, 20, 30, 50,000 young college students to play some worship music and save some lives, give out water and talk about Jesus and play his, he has an awesome trailer. I don't know if you have it here today. Do you have it here today? Uh, he has this trailer and he opened it up and it's just like a, a DJ booth in a trailer. It's got black lights and, and all these cool like glowing racetracks and everything. It just attracts young people's eyes and, and he gets to minister to them. And so he does that all over the country. He's getting ready to leave. So keep him in your prayers this week. But I'm going to ask the, the ushers to begin um, taking the offering. I'm going to pray first. Father, we just ask this morning, Lord, that, that every dollar that's spent, Lord, would, would we'd see return in a harvest and the fruit that would come back would be souls for your kingdom, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we have a reach that goes beyond these four walls and even beyond our city, but around the world, that we can go into all the world, Lord, that we have that capability in this day and age. And we just thank you for the opportunity, Lord. I pray that you would bless everyone that gives this morning and bless the gift in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead, ushers. All right. I want to begin a new series this morning as you're giving. a. It's called The Last Month on This Level. The Last Month on this level. I'm believing that God is, is leading us up to something on Easter because Easter's special for us. Uh, every Christian Easter's special for it. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, that he's alive and well and sits on the throne today, right? Amen. But uh, more specifically for us as a church, this is coming up on our two-year anniversary um, of Encounter AZ. And so Easter Sunday is a big deal for us, but we always do uh, a special push for Easter being uh, the resurrection of the Lord first and also um, as our anniversary. And uh, so we're just believing that God is going to begin a new thing in a new season uh, this month for your life. And also as we go into Easter, seven days before Easter, we're going to do something very spiritual. So uh, I would invite you to come along with us. We're going to do a seven-day fast. A seven-day fast and praying for what God's going to do in this next year through our church. We're believing that God has given us this city, that we're here for this time, in this place for a reason. We believe every person here is a part of that. So we want to invite you to um, uh, fast with us. That's the week before Easter. So Easter Sunday, you better watch out. I'll be the first person to that Mexican food restaurant on Easter Sunday. Um, but I want to t uh, speak a message to you this morning along the lines of the last mo month on this level. The title of my message is Use the Force. Use the Force. Yes, I did. I did do that. Um, how many of you like Star Wars? Can I just see a show of hands? Okay, I just want to see where the Christians are at. Okay, good. 
good. If you don't like Star Wars, I don't trust you, okay? I know who I trust. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, but it goes along with our message this morning, I promise. It is, right? Amen. Me and Josh are on the same page here. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 7. We're going to read a story uh, about John the Baptist and Jesus discussing John here. And it, and it says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of, old, from the days of John the Baptist until now. And I'm going to share this verse from the New King James Version because I just like it better. It says, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I want to ask you one more question before we get started this morning. How many of you are the type of people that like make strict plans and you like to stick by them? Anybody here like that? How many of you are spontaneous people? Where are my spontaneous people at? Um, me too. This is my people. And, and uh, I'm going to say my wife raised her hand right there, but she is a liar, okay? <laughs> she is not spontaneous. You need to know, every time we go on a vacation... I'm exhausted before I leave because I have my whole trip planned out for me. Everything we're doing every day, um, she gets, she's such a planner, she gets so stressed out on Mother's Day because she doesn't get to plan it. I have to plan something. Or Valentine's Day, she gets stressed like, what if you're not, are you planning anything? Are we doing, yeah, we're doing something. I have to like surprise her with something like taking her to a hotel room like we did this Valentine's Day. Hello. Put on some boy, boys to men. Just kidding. You know, when you have kids, you can take a vacation without ever leaving town. Do you know that? If you don't have kids, you'll know someday when you have kids. You can get a vacation in town. But you know how when you go on a trip, you surprise your kids, and it's awesome. The last minute is spontaneous for them. They're like, we're going to Disneyland. I do that with my wife. I just say, hey, tomorrow we're doing something, and she doesn't have time to plan out the whole thing because it gets exhausting, right? But the reason I'm telling you that is how many of you know God is a God of plans, he has plans for your life. And if he has plans for your life, he first reveals his plans with a promise. Is there anybody here waiting on a promise from God? Have you received a promise, something that you believe in his word that you haven't received yet and you're believing for? I think there's men, most of us here, if we look at our lives, we have promises. God makes promises. And he, when he makes promises, he doesn't take it back. If you have a promise, then there should be no problem that would come along that would throw you off of that promise. But sometimes we get through, go through circumstances or seasons where we stop believing what God has um, promised us, and there's this problem that knocks us off of the promise. But you need to know this morning, the promise of God is proof that God is not finished with your life. If you haven't seen it fulfilled, then guess what? There's more to come, because when he makes a promise, he keeps it. I remember another story with the disciples, and they were in a boat, and Jesus said, let's get in a boat, we're going to the other side. And they got in this boat, and they're going, and Jesus goes down to the bottom of the boat, and he starts to take a nap. And, and this is a good nap. It even says Jesus was laying on a pillow, okay? He was nestled. He was, he was not worried at all, and a storm begins to take place. And, and in that storm, you know what happened? The disciples forgot about the promise that Jesus made, that we're going to the other side. 
in the middle of the storm, they thought, we are going to die. We're not going to make it to the other side. And I need to remind somebody this morning, if God made you a promise, there's no reason, no matter what storm or problem comes your way, he's already promised you, and that means you're going to make it to the other side. Whatever is happening in your life, if you think it's a bad thing, then it's not over yet, because God works all things together for his good, no matter what problem you're facing. I wish somebody would praise God in the middle of a storm. I wish somebody would say, you know what, if it doesn't look good, then it's not over yet. He promised me that I'm going to make it to the other side. He promised me that all things would work together for my good. He promised me that my kids were going to know Jesus. I wish somebody would accept his promises over every problem in your life because God is a God of victory. You know that? He doesn't even know how to lose. All he does is win, win, win no matter what. He's God. And every time that you have a promise from God, you can count on it because if he's winning, you're winning if you're with him. Everything he touches wins. That means every circumstance I go through, if a God has his hand on my life, then I'm going to have victory. But to reach victory, you have to understand God's strategy. Because every time that God does something and receives victory, he, he has a strategy that he uses. It's important to know God's strategy. As a church, it's not our heart here to say, God, come along with us and give us victory as we do something for you. No, our heart is to say, God, where are you going and what are you doing? And we get along with God's strategy and then we receive victory because we're doing what God was already doing before. We're just following him. God's not meant to follow me and my strategy. We're called as a church to say, God, where are you going? And we're going to follow your strategy and do what you want us to do in this city. That's how we get victory. We sometimes ask God to jump on our plans and our strategies, right? God, just give me victory in this area. God, would you bless this relationship I'm in? Actually, God never wanted you to be in that relationship. That was not his strategy for your life. But we ask God to jump in and do something for us. But God's strategies, they don't always come the way we thought they would. Think of, I remember Joseph in Jericho. All right, I'm going to give you Jericho. Okay, sweet. Get your swords, everybody. Come on. God's going to give us, what do you want me to do, God? All right, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. Should I grab a sword, God? How about two swords, God? How about we, how about we just invent the first gun? I don't know. Like, let's do something awesome. And God's like, no, no swords. I just want you to walk. Oh, okay, God, I get it. You want me to walk around and, like, intimidate and trash talk the whole time around like you do in front of the mirror, you know what I'm saying, how you practice? When you, never mind. Um, but you walk around and just, and just talk. No, no, actually, Joshua, you're just going to keep your mouth closed the whole time. See, some of us never would have received victory because some of us don't know how to keep our mouth shut long enough to actually fulfill God's strategy. But... But they, they find out in the end that God's strategy was the only way to victory. And it was only if they could obey God long enough that they would find victory through God's strategy. My question is this morning, can you obey God long enough to receive victory and re through his strategy and receive that promise that you're waiting on? Because he has it for you. In this text, this is the strategy of God for redemption. The strategy of God for redemption is to send Jesus, but first, before I send the substance of Jesus, I have to first send structure in John the Baptist. And I'm going to explain what I mean more about that. Anytime God is about to send victory, he always sends structure first. Do you remember in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he, the first miracle Jesus does is turn water into wine, but he says something interesting in that story. He actually says, Mother, it's not yet my time. He says, Woman, actually. Don't try that with your mom. He says, Woman. It is not yet my time. And I think he was trying to get us to realize that there was something that should come first. And then very next miracle that it talks about in John is him going and cleansing the temple. 
flipping over the money changers temp, um, tables, and he did something. And I think the first thing that God was trying to show us is I first have to fix structure before I can send substance and do all the miracles that I want to do. I have to set some things right in the structure. Um, God, I want a business. Yeah, you want a business, but you don't have structure. You don't even have a savings account. God, I want a new job. Yeah, but you haven't even made a resume, and you show up late all the time to the job you have now. You don't have structure. God, I want the substance, but you have no structure. God, I want a godly wife. You aren't godly. Why would he do that to her? Why in the world? God, I want my kids saved. Yeah, but you don't even surround yourself with godly community as it is. And you... And you want your kids to be saved, but you don't make God a priority in your, own, in your own life. You see, we want stuff that we don't have the structure for. But faith becomes a reality when I have the structure set up and the capacity set up. Because God can fill whatever my capacity is, but he can't overfill my capacity. So I first have to set up a structure that God can pour into so I can receive what I'm promised and what my faith is believing for. Does that make sense? So if I want to receive from God, I first have to set up a structure to hold it. If God sent it now, you wouldn't even be able to hold it. God, I want to be financially free. Okay, you want to be financially free, but you're not a good steward of what he's given you already. God, if I just won the lottery, that's my favorite. If I just win the lottery, God, I'm going to be so generous, and I believe God would say, but you're not generous with what you have now. You're not going to be generous if you have more. We first have to set up structure before God can release substance in our life. And and in this story, John the Baptist was the structure of Christ. So John had to come first to set up for Jesus. In a way, I like to think of it as John the Baptist being like scaffolding, building the building of Christ. And so before Christ could come, he had to set up this, this structure. And I think John the Baptist in this story, I want us to also think of him, I think he's a reference to the body of Christ, to the church. Church, big C, church. And every time we look at John the Baptist, I think we can learn so much about church. And so let's look at these stories. In their first encounter in Scripture with Jesus and John the Baptist, you remember the story. It's my wife's favorite story. When Elizabeth had been shut up in her house for five months. She'd been shut up in her house for five months. She was pregnant with John the Baptist. And I've read some theologians that believe that they, she thought the baby on the inside of her was dead. And so she's shut up in her house. And I believe there's some of you here this morning that you received a promise from God years ago. And it hasn't kicked. And so you, you received the promise and you jumped and it jumped inside of you. But over time, some things have happened. You haven't seen the fruit yet. And now you've shut the door on it and not let anybody in. But do you know that as soon as Jesus stepped in that room, the dream, the baby on the inside of her leapt and it kicked and it began to do something. And the thing that you believe is on the inside of you as a stillborn dream and a stillborn baby, I need you to know God says there's life in it yet. But you've been surrounding yourself with spiritual abortionists. Every time you get around them, the baby on the inside of you does begin to die, and you walk away feeling more anxiety and fear and worry than you had before. You need to get around some people on the, that make the baby on the inside of you leap, that say, I can do great things, and if God promised it to me, I'm going to do it. You need to go on a ro road trip with Bobby D and go to Washington, D.C. and come back and say, you know what? If God told me to do it, then he's going to see me through it, and there's a promise on the inside of you that you need to believe for, and don't let anyone tell you that it's not going to happen. If you've received a promise from God, then it's going to happen. It's time for you to believe again. You got to get some people around you that when they leave you, you feel like you can change the world. 
You feel like diseases are going to be healed. Anything's possible. I just feel like victory needs to rise up in the hearts in this room. And say, you know what, if God has touched it and he's promised me victory, I'm going to believe for everything God has promised me. I don't have to settle for less and I don't have to stop believing that dream because my family is never going to be the same. This city is never going to be the same in Jesus' name. John, he, he's the, the, the person that we see in Scripture. Something that's interesting about this story is that John felt the presence of God in the womb. He knew Jesus walked into this room while he was in the womb. This is an interesting story. It's the first person we see touched by God from the, room, or from the womb. And you know what that tells me? God is not concerned but with people or age. He's not concerned with who you are, what you look like, with anything society says is important. He's not concerned with how old you are, how young you are. He's not concerned with any of that. And you know what? I feel like we need to start praying for our people, our kids, and e-kids and say, you know what? Let them be filled with the Holy Ghost and power. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, every young person and e-kids would walk into kindergarten full of the Holy Spirit and begin to prophesy over their teacher. I believe revival can rise up in this city through the children, God, because you put no, you put no importance on age, Lord Jesus. But right now, Father, I'm praying in the name of Jesus for revival to break out in this city and start with young people, Lord. I believe in they can walk into third grade and heal disease. Jesus, in Jesus' name, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, God. We don't want to settle for any less, Lord Jesus. We believe it in Jesus' name. Father, fill up our children with your Holy Spirit. Can you see a citywide revival beginning with our young people? Come on. Why has it got to be about me? Why has it got to be about us? Let the kids do it if Jesus gets the glory. If when you encounter God, something should change. Something becomes different. And I know, I know uh, sanctification is like a progression, you know, you, you're growing and you're maturing over time. God's dealing with you, I understand that. But there's something that should change when you encounter God. When I used to speak to young people all the time, they'd always say, Brent, I had an encounter with God, Pastor Brent, it was awesome. And, and then I would look at their life and I'd ask them, if you had an encounter with God, why do you still talk to your parents with disrespect? Something should be different. You know, when you look at John, the Baptist, he was different. If anybody in scripture was different, this guy was different, and he represents the body of Christ, right? But you remember John, when, when everybody else is running to the temple to get close to God, John says, no, nah, I'm going to the wilderness. Nobody wants to go to the wilderness. And I do kind of, I like camping. Adam, you, all, you like the wilderness. But, but John, he was different. What in the world? And you know what? I think the church is called to be the same different because different, the different the difference is in the different. You've been asking God, why haven't I been having impact? And a lot of times it's because you still look like the thing you're supposed to be influencing. We have to be different to make a difference. And that's what we see in John's life. He was different. Everyone else wore robes and John said, I want to wear that camel hair over there. I like the way that looks. They were like, what do you want to eat, John? He's like, ooh, I want to get some of those locusts. No, that's a no. No locusts. Uh, but got, uh, and some honey. I'm going to put some honey on them. Still a no, John. Nope, I'm not doing it. Even with honey. But you know what? Even that was prophetic because John was in between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant in the New Testament. And in the Old Covenant, actually, locusts used to be a thing that would plague the people in the Old Testament. They used to devour things. Locusts, when they're in a swarm, can devour hundreds of thousands of acres. 
They can do crazy things. But you know what this is to me? This is the Bible telling us, you know what? Because John was different, he said, you know what? I'm going to devour the thing that used to devour me because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm different and I'm going to stand out and I'm distinct. And that's what made the difference. And I wish somebody in here would say, you know what? I'm tired of being devoured. I'm going to stand out and be different. I'm going to begin to devour the devourer that used to take over me. My past is behind me. It's not going to devour me any longer. I'm going to start to devour it. He gains influence because he was different and distinct. And every, people from everywhere came to see him. And you know what's interesting about his ministry is he only had one message. Some of you are like, I already heard Pastor Brent share this illustration. This is, come up with some new stuff, man. I mean, come on. You know what John's message was? His disciples would come to him. Hey, John, you got a message for today? I do. I got a word. I got a word from God. Awesome. What is it? Repent. The next day, hey, John, you got, a, you got a message today? I know it's going to be a great service. I do. I got a message. What is it? Repent. Really, John? Like no other message? No. But you know what? He had influence because he embraced being different and distinct. And you know what? He had influence because he was different and distinct. And even though his message was the same, people will listen to what you have to say if your life is different. I love the quote that says, get on fire for God and come, people will come to watch you burn because you're different and you stand out and there's something distinct about your life. We've got to stop being a church that wants to look like the world and say, God, I want to stand out and be different because I want to have influence over the thing that I'm living in. John the Baptist gave us an example of that. You ever known somebody who was just a talker? No? I know one. His name's Josh. Um, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. He's a one-upper, you know what I mean? Not Josh, but you ever known somebody like this? <laughs> and you're like, hey, I, I just got back from vacation. I was on vacation all week. And they're like, that's awesome. I, I went on vacation all last month. You're like, okay, okay, Josh, whatever. <laughs> but, but, um, but you know that the, their life can't cash the checks that their mouth is writing. You ever known somebody like that? Just there's nothing, nothing matters about what they're saying because you can't believe them. You know, we gotta stop, we got to understand that there's something that happens when we can walk out what we're talking. And when there's something distinct and different about us. If we can get to a place where our life is able to cash the checks our mouth is writing, we will have influence. That's why you can't get mad at people for cashing checks your mouth, or your, yeah, your mouth wrote. Or your life wrote. When they, you, people come to me like, Brett, they, won't, they just don't trust, they don't believe me. Yeah. Because you're a liar. Your life wrote those checks. They're just cashing them. They won't believe you. Bre Pastor Brent, they won't let me lead a Bible study. Yeah, because if you can't live it, then you shouldn't teach it. Your life wrote those checks. Don't get mad at people for cashing them. Start writing different things. Start living different. Start walking what you're talking. The difference is made by the different. We need to be different. We need to stand out. John was different. He was distinct. And so he achieved his destiny that God called him to achieve. You know what else I noticed about John while I'm reading through the story is he was called a voice in the wilderness. A voice. And you know what God showed me this week is, is before God could send the Word, which is Jesus, the Word was God, the Word was with God, the Word, or in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Jesus is the Word. Before he sent the Word, he first had to send the structure. Before he sent the substance, he had to send a voice. You know what the church, John the Baptist represents the church and the church is called to be a voice that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and will preach his name because Jesus is the word, but we gotta be a voice 
that he comes through. You are not Jesus, but you're a mouthpiece through which God can work. He sent structure through John. Their second encounter with Scripture is, it's like the first. Why is it like the first? The first encounter was in the water of the womb. The second encounter was in the water of the Jordan. And I, I could preach a whole sermon on that, but we're going to move on because that doesn't fit it. But John, who he was the forerunner, he put himself in the water before he baptized Jesus. And then he does something interesting. He points to the crowd. You know, when I read this story, I realize you can always tell someone's maturity by what they point out in other people. What are you pointing out on people? Because John could have let his insecurities point out something in Jesus and, and become, began to say bad things and negative things about Jesus whose ministry was actually sent to be a blessing to John's ministry, but he could have missed out on it because he, was, he could have pointed out the wrong things in people, but he didn't. He looked, at, he looked at Jesus and he pointed and he pointed out two things, identity and assignment. He said, behold, the Lamb of God, identity who takes away the sins of the world assignment. Good leaders will always point out your identity and your assignment in you. And John, he understood this and he pointed this out in Jesus. Why? Because if they pointed out in you enough, you might start to believe it. You need some leadership around you who tells you who you were created to be. That's some good marriage advice right there. I wish our newlyweds were here this morning to hear that. If you start to point out who people are, they will stay that way. But if you point out who they were created to be, they will grow into it. And so... He pointed this out in Jesus. He, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They both get in the water and Jesus is baptized and they come up. And you know, something happens. John baptizes Jesus, but they both get blessed. The heavens open up over both of them. They hear the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Now, all of a sudden, John, by being a blessing to Jesus, God blessed himself. You know you cannot be a blessing to other people without getting blessed yourself. God has a blessing for you on the other side of you blessing other people. we got to be careful what, how we're talking about and speaking about and how we're treating other people. Because from this moment on, we see John and Jesus do ministry together. Not specifically together, but John is ministering for God here and Jesus over here alongside each other. We don't see any fights in Scripture between them. There's just unity because there's understanding that we are better together. I'm not competing against you. We're doing something for the same kingdom. And as a church, we need to understand that. We need to pray and bless every church in this city, God. We're just thankful that we have a part, Lord. We're thankful that there's other denominations and other types of churches for different people, God. And we just thank you that we have a place and a part. We want unity in our city among churches, God, because it's your kingdom and not ours in Jesus' name. Father, give us unity in the church, Lord. Give us unity. We're better together. And then this one day, Jesus, is the, he, he comes across these people who bring him some bad news. They say, John the Baptist is he's dead. How did John the Baptist die? If you don't know, he was, he was beheaded. And then the father tells Jesus, it's almost your time. Your time has almost come. You know that there, there's going to come a time in your life where God sees you are ready and there's going to be some removal from your life. There comes a time when every good contractor knows that the building is up and it's time for the scaffolding to come down. Maybe there's some things that God has removed for your life. Maybe you're experiencing removal and you've been blaming the devil for something that God removed from your life. 
Removal is an important part, and there, but there is no greater pain than removal. Can I be honest with you and tell you sometimes in ministry, you will pour your life and your love into people who will walk away and talk bad about you and hate on you, and it is hard. It hurts, and it's a real pain. The pain of removal, there's nothing like it, like that family member who was by your side at one time, and now they're gone, and they don't even want to see you or talk to you. The pain of removal is hard. But I've learned a hard way that sometimes God will remove people from your life because it's time for the scaffolding to come down and it's time for a new season because they took you as far as they could take you and he's going to take you farther, but not with them. They're going a different direction and that's okay. The pain of removal, Jesus experienced this. He knew the pain of removal. My question when I read this story is, how can Jesus be the head of the church until John who represents the church, loses his head. You see, Jesus, he's he's the head of the church, but he needs a body. He needs the body of Christ, right? And we see John lose his head, and, and we see different scriptures where Jesus says things like, Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And Jesus is referring to the fact that he's homeless, but might I suggest that this might also apply to Jesus looking for a body to lay his head on. And John, representing the church, loses his head. And Jesus is in pain about losing John. And he goes into this excerpt about John. And he says, the kingdom of God suffers. I don't know if what you're looking for, that you're calling success, but I need you to know that you cannot expect success in his kingdom without first going through some suffering. We see people in ministry with with great ministries, and it's tempting as a pastor to be like, wow, God, I want that anointing in that ministry. But can I tell you something? You do not know what they suffered to get where they are. And they probably wouldn't wish it on anybody. But the kingdom of God suffers. You have, you've been thinking suffering was something that God imputed because you deserve it. Have you ever thought that, or is it just me? I've gone through seasons of my life where I say, why, God? Is this because I've done something? And no, it's not. You know, maybe you're like me, and and I hate, there's one thing that's a pet peeve to me, and it's getting cut in line. Is there anybody else here who just hates getting cut in line? Oh, my gosh. Like, if I get cut in line, I will flip out. I, will ma- I can't help it. I will make a scene. Like, in front of people, I'm, I will lose my Christianity really quick. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I do, like, this weird smug laugh. Like, <laughs> whoa. And then you get the crowd involved. You're like, you see this guy? You see this? My wife's like, babe, because she's like a real Christian, and she's like, stop. What are you doing? I'm like, it's not fair. But can I tell you, that kind of thinking does not work in the kingdom of God. That it's not about being fair, and it's not about what you deserve. He took everything that you deserve so he can give you everything he deserves. He's not imputing suffering on you. Can I have the worship team come up and help me? Suffering is not imputed by God, but can I tell you something? It's allowed for your good. Because you've been wanting to get the oil out of the olive without squeezing. And that's impossible. You see, sometimes it takes suffering. Nobody preaches suffering anymore. We like blessing. 
You know, and we like, and we like success, but sometimes you're going to have to walk in your relationship with God where it feels like all hell is breaking loose. And can I tell you this morning, that is God's invitation to you to say, come on up to the next level because it's time to squeeze you and get the oil out. And this might be your last time seeing this level that you're on right now because I believe God is saying, if you're feeling the pressure and all hell is breaking loose, if you feel the pain of removal and you want to get up, guess what? It's not time to give up. It's time to say, God, go ahead and allow me to be squeezed because it's the pressure that releases the oil. You know, if you hadn't had the pressure, you would have stayed comfortable in the same place and never moved out of the old place into the new place God has for you. It takes the pressure and the squeezing to get you to where God wants you to be. I know some of you this morning, you walked in tired and not knowing what to do. And and I read this verse that I love and it says, for this light affliction, is working an exceeding weight of glory in your life. And I know it hurts, and I know you wouldn't wish it on anybody, but you cannot quit because there's an anointing coming on your life like you've never seen if you push through. If you continue with God's strategy and trusting in God and don't let any problem throw you off of his promise, there's a next level in an anointing coming to your life. Do not quit in the suffering because the kingdom of God suffers violence. The kingdom of God suffers violence. And I see some of you this morning that in the spirit you have black eyes. And in the spirit, you're broken down and you want to give up. But I want to encourage you that the enemy did not want you to know that the kingdom of God suffers violence, but. You got to love when there's a but in scripture because that means what I'm about to say is more important than what I just said. Because the kingdom of God suffers violent, but the violent take it by force. You know, the enemy didn't want you to realize that the violence that you were, that you were going through actually can be used by God because there's a, there's a violence that's been worked on the inside of me when I'm going through something hard and I feel like giving up that says, if I ever get up out of this thing, I'm going to tear down the gates of hell that put me here and I'm never going to look back and the enemy is going to regret it. Thank you, devil, because you made me worship harder and you made me pray harder for my family and I'm not going to give up on my marriage and everything that you promised me, I'm believing for and devil you're going to be sorry for the violence that you worked on the inside of me and I'm not talking about physical violence because we don't war against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers but I'm talking about a violence and a worry and an anxiety that the enemy put on the inside of you that you got to rise something's got to rise up a violence has to rise up on the inside of you and you say you know what that's it you are going to be sorry that you messed with me you're going to be sorry that you tried to lie and tried to get me to quit because in the middle of that there was an oil that began to be squeezed out of my life and everything that I've been through is for purpose and on purpose and I'm believing that violence the violent take it by force will you take it with me this morning there's some people in this place that I believe you need to fight there's some violence that needs to rise up on the inside of you this morning because I believe there's some of you that are about to take your stuff back that baby that's on the inside of you that you thought was dead, I believe you're about to walk up and say, give me my baby back. Give me my ministry back. Give me my marriage back in Jesus' name because it's not yours. But do you know the biggest opponent to you getting your stuff back? It's your timidity. We act like we don't have any power or victory in the name of Jesus. And we're like, hey, uh, hey, can, can I get my kids back? 
Can I tell you sometimes when the enemy has been fighting you and putting this pressure on you and God has been allowing it, that oil and that violence on the inside of you has to make you do something drastic and walk up in the enemy's camp and say, this is mine and I never said that you could have it. I didn't ask him if I could take this. It's already mine and I have victory in the name of Jesus. Here, you can have it back. I don't really want it. But can I tell you, you got to stop being timid and say, you know what? That's my family. Nobody else is going to fight for it. But there's a violence on the inside of me that says, I am not done. I am not settling for the status quo. Oh, it's just the way the world is. Your kids are going to be like that. No, they're not. In Jesus' name, my kids are going to serve God, and they're going to walk out their calling and their anointing. My marriage is going to be blessed. My marriage is going to be prosperous. I have the favor of God on my life. My future is greater than my history. There's a death destiny that's calling me. Would you fight with me this morning? Would you stand up to your feet? I'm asking you this morning, if you're here and there's something or somebody you need to fight for, I want to encourage you, get violent and get up here and say, God, that's mine. Devil, that's mine. And I'm not settling for it. In the name of Jesus, I have victory. Come on, let's do some battle this morning. Come on, let's worship for a couple minutes.